turtles and tourism and turtles and the economy and other things are in direct competition. Do you think she'll give up? It depends on how desperate she is. I think she may give up now. She's going back towards the sea now. Primary threat no is habitat loss. And that can be directly linked to climate change impacts as well as coastal development, coastal armoring. So it is really a multi-dimensional threat. I'm Connor Lennon and you're listening to The Lid Is On from the United Nations. This episode is the last in our four-part mini-series looking at the issues facing the marine environment surrounding the eastern Caribbean island nation of Barbados and some of the projects that are trying to redress the balance. In the last episode, we went into the water to see the successful efforts being made by an organisation called Coral, which, with support from the UN, is growing coral varieties in ocean nurseries and proving that, under the right conditions, it is possible to restore the reef. Another group receiving UN backing is the Barbados Sea Turtle Project, a research and conservation organisation which began in the 1980s at the University of the West Indies. It has been successful in restoring the turtle population on the island, despite a host of challenges. The group has received support from the small grants programme of the Global Environmental Facility, which provides finance for several initiatives implemented by the UN Development Programme. In the southwest of the island, there's a place called the Boardwalk. This is an area full of restaurants and bars that come right up to the beach, a testament to the central importance of tourism to the Barbadian economy. There I met Carla Daniel, the project's field director, who talked me through the group's activities and explained why it's important to preserve sea turtles on Barbados. Sea turtles play a very well-researched and recognised role in uh, ecosystem maintenance and stabilisation. Hawksbills in particular feed on sponge, which is in direct competition with coral uh, for space on the reefs, so they help to maintain our coral reefs. Um, and any island uh, which depends on white sandy beaches, as well as um, natural wave breaks that reefs create uh, when we are affected by uh, extreme weather events, knows the importance of the coral reef. So hawksbill turtles were quite close to extinction. So I think it was recognized globally uh, around the late 1990s is also when the trade in tortoise shell, which is really hawksbill shell, was banned as well. So I think there was around that time a global recognition um, that we could not continue on the trajectory that we were following when it comes to hawksbills or we were going to lose the species. On the conservation side of things, we have a 24-hour hotline that we operate. This hotline um, is, well, operates 365 days a year. So even though the nesting season goes from the 1st of June to the 15th of November, every single day of the year we answer the hotline and we respond to hotline calls. Persons are able to call to report emergencies where uh, adult turtles or um, hatchling turtles or even sick juveniles are in need of rescue. But they also call to report uh, turtle sightings and to report tracks and sometimes just to report things that they observe that they don't think you know, is right. So they see certain types of activities on the beach, they may call to report those as well. Uh, in addition to the hotline, we have uh, patrol teams that man that hotline because we get a lot of calls. Uh, during the peak nesting season, we can get, I would say, up to 15 uh, unique calls a night. And, you know, there's still only eight hours, really, um, 
in a night. So uh, it, it can take quite a bit. So we have um, an amazing team of volunteers every year. And our team is, is really a really good composition because we have a nice mix of um, young people who are still in university. We have retirees um, who have a bit more time. And then we have persons who are um, working but they've managed to, to find the time between their responsibilities and between their jobs to still come out and do what I believe they think is, um, is important work. So at night, we have three teams out. So in any 24-hour period from the 1st of June to the 15th of November, we have at least uh, eight persons working uh, to answer hotline calls. We standardize the patrol effort. So we have the same team of people on that beach for four months every single year. And they, their objective is to walk the beach every hour from 7.30 p.m. to 4 a.m. in the morning and to see and record every single turtle that comes up. So that at the end of the nesting season, we, have, uh, we know that we've seen hopefully like 95 to 99% of the turtles that nested. And because our effort is consistent across years, then any fluctuation in the number of turtles that we're seeing is likely due to changes in the nesting population. Carla Daniel, Field Director of the Barbados Sea Turtle Project. Sinead Nichols is one of those volunteers Carla mentioned, and she spent many nights staying up, patrolling the beaches, and looking for turtles. Right now we are on the South Coast boardwalk, and as we're currently doing, we are walking the beach to see if we see any turtle activity. We can see turtles along the South Coast and the West Coast, but this is an area that one of the beaches that we patrol, so we will see any activities that we have. I'm interested in conservation, and this is a way for me to be a part of it. I got interested in it through the University of the West Indies and then from the time I started I enjoyed it. So I think it's a passion that got me going. So you've saved lots of turtles? Yes, yes. Even in a night I have released more than a thousand hatchlings. Oh wait, in one night? Yes. Wow. In one particular area of the beach, one time we got 800 hatchlings and we had to try to get them to a safe beach to Barbados Sea Turtle Project volunteer Sinead Nichols. Carla Daniel explained that whilst the project has had success in bringing up the turtle numbers, they're still at risk for a host of reasons. Primary threat no um, is habitat loss and that can be directly linked to climate change impacts um, as well as uh, coastal development, coastal armoring, uh, and so on. So, so it is really a multi-dimensional threat. The other issue that turtles face is temperature because um, sea turtles are, uh, well, sea turtle hatchlings, uh, the sex is determined by temperature and that temperature sex determination skews toward uh, females um, as the temperature increases. So there are many beaches around the world and uh, in Barbados as well where they've been feminized. So these beaches are producing 100% female turtles. Uh, the skewing of the sex ratio potentially in the short term could have a positive impact because males mate, um, you could say indiscriminately, um, so multiple, multiple males will mate with females uh, and so on. So you, 
a small, a proportionately smaller number of males can service a larger number of females. But of course, you will get to the tipping point where, as these older males die and they're not being adequately replaced in the population, uh, then there will be females who cannot find a male to mate with, and your population will begin to contract. And then there is, of course, the bigger issue of hatching success period. So it is one thing to have perhaps a skewed sex ratio, but it is another thing to have the eggs simply not hatch because it is too warm. And some turtles do nest on black sand beaches, uh, on volcanic islands, and those black sand beaches are getting very hot. So um, there are places where hatching success of nests is below 40%. Um, some of that may be attributed to temperature, but there are other factors at play as well. Thankfully in Barbados, we do still enjoy uh, quite good hatching success. But I think where climate change factors and um, impacts are concerned, sea turtles, for us, um, could kind of be considered the canary in the mine because they are literally on the edge of the island. Um, they're going to feel those extreme weather events first, all their eggs, and the, the thing about it is that the Hawksville nesting season coincides exactly with the hurricane season. So they're laying on these ever-narrowing beaches and whenever we get an extreme weather event, it's not necessarily a case of a direct impact. Those large waves and the swells that are generated erode the beaches. So especially if this was to happen, let's say around August, um, when we have the majority of eggs incubating on the shoreline, we could lose half of the eggs that are laid in the nesting season with one passing storm. Uh, one of the issues that compounds this is that beaches are narrower. So turtles generally will try to get quite high above the water, especially hotspots. They go up to the vegetation line to lay their eggs. But on a narrow beach, they can only go so far. So often properties are bracketed by seawalls, by revetments and so on. So when they come out of the sea, they, they can only get, you know, maybe five meters above the waves or in some cases three meters or less above the waves. So it means that their eggs are not through choice, but because of the, the environment that they have and the, the, I guess, the current situation where the habitat is concerned, they can only lay the eggs in the space they have available. So some of the impacts we're seeing is yes, turtles are laying eggs closer to the water. The eggs are being laid more densely. So more turtles are laying in the same area because there's uh, fewer spaces to nest. So there's some areas where there's been significant erosion and you may have a stretch of coastline where there's only one pocket of relatively wide dry sand. So all of the turtles that would like to nest in this general area are going to the same spot and they're digging each other's eggs up. You also have situations where because turtles are, you know, it's innate in them, there's no maternal care after the eggs are laid, so they're not caring for their hatchlings or anything. All of the maternal care that they give is in the nesting process. So they try their best to find the very best location and they take their time, they dig the best possible egg chamber and they fill it in very carefully and cover the entire area um, before they go back to the sea. So because these animals are so um, hardwired to find a good spot, it often leaves them um, to them straying off of the beach. So going into properties, into gardens, falling into swimming pools. Um, we had one in that fenced off construction site just down from where we're sitting. They crossed the boardwalk to nest to get on the other side because the beach on the seaward side of the boardwalk is too narrow. We had another one uh, night before last night 
that straight into the road as well. Came up again, the beach is quite narrow. Their instincts are pushing them to go higher. You know, this is not far enough. You need to keep crawling. You need to find a better spot. And then they go off the beach and into the road. As the bars and restaurants started to fill up, we began patrolling the boardwalk. Carla had told me that the sounds and lights would probably put off turtles from attempting to nest. But a little later, we saw a large object coming out of the sea and onto the beach. So we found a turtle now, and Carla's just walking ahead. A lot of light here, so I can understand how turtles would become very distracted. Let's see what Carla says. So this is a great example, isn't it, of you know, so much light coming from this place. Must yeah, be incredibly she, disoriented. I'm not sure she's going to come all the way up. You can see her sticking her head up and looking yeah. around, uh, trying to decide if this is a, a good thing to do. But she's, she is committed. Um, they have limited energy reserves. So when they leave their foraging grounds and make that migratory track to Barbados to nest, they use up stored reserves. So they're not eating between nests or, or anything like that. They are fasting. So all of the energy that they're using up when they come out of the sea, they can't get back. So if she does all of this and is unsuccessful in nesting, that's energy that's wasted. And it can have a real impact on the quality of her, her eggs um, and the number of eggs she's able to lay. So I mean, this is a really good example of a very narrow beach. She has she's, to come so near to people and the music and the lights. Yeah, but she's going to want to come up higher as well, so there's a good chance. Sinead, don't... Sh oh, she's trying to move the people, sorry. She's trying to move the people from standing directly in front of the turtle. Why so, do you need to do because that? Because she's not settled, so I'm just going to ask you to stay right still as well. Uh, she is still trying to make up her mind. And if she's startled by somebody walking past right in front of her, or even maybe using flash photography or anything like that at this point, she may get scared enough that she'll just turn around and go straight back into the sea. So it's so it's she's kind climbing of a, up now. Yeah. So you said she's trying to get up to the highest point. Well, not necessarily the highest point, but they kind of had like have like an internal barometer that kind of tells them when they've gone far enough. Uh, she's now body pitting, so she is using her front and back flippers to um, push the sand away from her body. Essentially what she's doing is moving away the loose dry sand um, so that when she starts to use her back flippers to dig the egg chamber, she's digging down into damper sand that is more likely to hold the shape of the nest. Um, loose dry sand will collapse. Um, so in the long run, it helps to save a little bit of time. So she well. started and then stopped and moved on. She wasn't didn't very fancy happy. it. Okay, yeah, she's moving no. towards us now. So yeah, we're gonna have to keep very still. But of course, because it's the boardwalk and because people are just well, whilst you've been talking, we've seen a big crowd start to gather. Yeah, and these people are just walking Look by. Around. There's a, a pretty good chance that she is just going to give up. And excuse me, hello. Yeah, do you mind not moving around? Just stay very still, please. It is it's so difficult. Um, and what's more remarkable is that there was no beach here. So until this boardwalk was built, this is not a place that turtles used to come and nest. 
we created this beach essentially out of nothing and it is not good quality. Um, there's a lot of activity. So when you say it was created, what was it before? The water came up to, to the, the walls and to the rocks. There was, oh, I there see, was no right. Sand. So the headlands, etc., essentially um, caused the beach to form, but they're very narrow, kind of unstable beaches. Uh, so they are, um, they're not great for nesting. But well, because they're here, no, uh, turtles are coming. So really, if these beaches didn't exist, there's a chance this turtle would have come up on another um, better quality beach. Well, she's right next to us now, and she started digging stop pointing, down a bit. Stop pointing, thank you. She's still body fitting, she's moving. Okay, so even that movement, she wouldn't like that. She's facing you. You don't want to... Okay. Um, ...to disturb, she's just turning around, no? I think she's she's kind of uncomfortable with all the... You yeah. think she'll go, okay, this so now... This guy just walked past and she flinched and turned right. almost 180 degrees. Do you think she'll give up? It depends on how desperate she is. I think she may give up, no. Movement. She's going back towards the sea now. I kind of prefer it when they turn around and face away because at least then they're not seeing all of the movement and all of it behind them. She's just obviously quite desperate. You know? She's looking around some more. And if she's I, not I able to, if she's not able to uh, nest them now, what are her options? The second set of eggs that she's going to lay after this one are, is already developing. And there's about a 14-day window. Once the, the clutch she has now is ready to be laid, there's about a 14-day window to, to get them laid, to get those eggs laid. And um, she has to lay them before the second set is ready. So if she's not able to do so, then uh, in a worst-case scenario, she will, she will have to release them. Uh, so turtles have been documented releasing eggs into the sea. And of course, they're dead instantly because they can't they can't go into the water. Um, these people just moved, and she flinched a little bit again. Um, I mean, it's really interesting because people will take ten pictures and then they'll move again to take the same ten pictures. But you can someone see from the speaking. someone from the restaurant there just giving some more instructions to tourists. Yeah. She facing away again. She's just been kind of turning in circles and, and trying and moving on. She just really doesn't want to give up, but so she she is heading back to the sea for Oh she's going back in. Yeah. It is too bad because you know this is all wasted time, wasted energy. But on the other hand I'm kinda of hopeful that she will come up the second time around on at a better location where the beach is a bit wider and there are fewer people and less lights and the hatchlings will have a better chance. A sad end to the turtle's attempt to lay her eggs on a narrow beach on the boardwalk and a stark example of the tension between the development of Barbados and the ability of the turtle population to thrive. There are no easy answers but Carla told me that there needs to be a way for people and turtles to coexist. One solution somebody might say is, oh, we need to barricade the beaches and stop the turtles from getting into the road. Uh, yes, in I think in one way that is a solution because it means that they're, they're less vulnerable to being struck by vehicles, but it is not a solution for the problem, which is pushing them onto the roads, which is inadequate nesting space. The other, the other thing that we think is really important is physical exclusion. 
So you have um, inadequate nesting space where the beach is narrow or the beach is gone um, and they're just not able to nest there. But then you also have factors where you have space that is um, quite white. You know, there, there are still some quite good beaches, Barbados still has some gorgeous beaches, but turtles and tourism and turtles and the economy and other things are in direct competition. So how we manage that space and how we use it will either allow those turtles to utilize the space as well or it will physically exclude them from the space. And it can be really simple, something like leaving beach chairs out all night long on the beach can mean that when turtles come up to nest, the beach is covered with chairs and they just can't find the space or they can't access the space to lay their eggs. And not only is it um, excluding them, but it, it creates a hazard because they are tenacious. So they will still try and then they get trapped in the beach chairs or potentially they may even drag, get stuck. But because the chairs are light, they're able to drag them um, with them to the sea and then they potentially drown. So I think a lot of it is, um, of course, attempting to mitigate climate change, doing what we can to preserve the beaches that we have left. Um, and in some cases to rehabilitate some of the beaches that have been lost or, or that we are losing, but also to maybe take another look at how we utilize those spaces and try to do so in a way that makes space, of course, for, for tourists and for commerce, but also for these endangered animals that need the beach to survive. Carla Daniel, Field Director for the Barbados Sea Turtle Project, which, against the odds, is successfully restoring the turtle population on the island. This has been the last of our four episodes from Barbados, highlighting the ocean-related challenges facing the island and the way the government, civil society and the UN are finding ways to fight back and promote sustainable development. This mini-series was produced to coincide with the 2022 UN Ocean Conference, convened to bring fresh impetus to science-based solutions and start a new chapter of Global Ocean Action. You'll find a host of videos and text stories about the conference, as well as more episodes of The Lid Is On, on our website, news.un.org.